Do you ever find yourself yearning to look beyond the obvious and dreaming about what's possible in your next chapter? Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Blissette, former corporate executive who turned the page to become a best-selling author, entrepreneur, designer, and lifestyle business consultant. Episodes feature me and a kaleidoscope of guests who share their journeys with wit, candor, and humor, braving life into real talks about things that matter most. I believe we all have a fire burning within us, waiting to be unleashed and shared with the world. It may just be a matter of time. So let's get together, turn the page, and get this adventure started. Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. My name is Jeanette Blissett. I'm your host. Today's guest is Michael Harris. Michael is known for his quick wit, his deep insights, and his dry sense of humor, just like dry saunas and Bikram yoga. He goes down deep. One of Michael's many passions is to help people get their message, their story, and their voice out to the world. He did that as the author of the best-selling book, Falling Down and Getting Up, where he shares his story of the ups and the downs and how he overcame a lot of things in his life. Michael, welcome to the next chapter experience. It's great to have you as a guest. Wonderful to be here and talking to you again. I mentioned to you before we started our show to some of your other guests on the show, and I just, I really love what you do and what you bring. So anybody listening to this, don't switch over yet, but be sure to listen to some of the other episodes because there's some really great conversations that you're doing here. I appreciate that. I know today's conversation is going to be great as well. I am just so pleased to have you as a guest. I did read your book. Now, that book you read, you wrote around 12 years ago. Is that correct? It was released July 2012. So it's been 10 years. Oh, 10 years ago. And I'm very captivated by the story itself. Now, Michael, you were quite adventurous as a child. If you can describe exactly what was going through your mind when you wanted to do a dry landing of sorts. A beach landing is not that unusual with water skiing. Maybe it's a little unusual for a lot of people, but I was a little hotshot water skier. And it's interesting because my godfather back in the 50s was one of the people that helped create the water ski shoe that you put your foot into that didn't used to have the back. It just had the front where you slit your foot in and then they put the heel. So my godfather way back in the 50s was in creating that. Wow. I was a hotshot water skier. I was a pretty active kid doing lots of different things, whether it was playing golf or baseball or whatever it was. But this particular day, we were out water skiing and it was an old type lake and we were going around the lake several times around and it was time to come in. And I like to go fast and I like to do beach landings, which is essentially when you let go of the rope, instead of just dropping in the middle of the water, you're getting up to beach. When I got up to the beach, normally you stop a couple of feet before the land. But in this case, I was going at a higher rate of speed. Another boat cut right in front of us. And the whole instantaneous time when I was being whipped to the outside of the wake and a boat cut in front and our boat had to do a sharp turn. So it shot me a little bit faster. And so I hit the beach smack pretty good. And wind knocked out of me. It was horrendous feeling. I'd had wind knocked out of me before, but not quite like that. And the length of time that it I ended up at the local hospital. It was just a small hospital. It was on the Oregon coast where the lake was. 
and went to the hospital and they said I was bruised up. It didn't have any punctured me or anything else, but I was just bruised up. And so that night, and we were staying down at the coast, we'd go down to this area quite a bit growing up as kids. And that night I was throwing up some blood and mom the next day brought us back to Portland, brought me to the doctor right away. And the next thing I know, it was about 10 days later, and I was waking up from a coma and a near-death experience. And they didn't tell me immediately, but I heard that I had 60% of my liver removed, my gallbladder, cracked ribs, collapsed lung, 21 blood transfusion, wow. a 20-hour surgery. So I was not expected to live at all. That was in 71, so quite a while ago. And here I am 51 years later, and I'm still alive. I am here. Between that experience and now, there's been a lot of things that happened in between. There's a few other things that happened yeah, in there yeah. too. And one of the things that really happened as a result of that, I said, I had a death experience. And when I was coming back to my body, I did not want to come back. And I reached out to spirit and they said, you're not through yet. I guess I'm still not through yet, but I came back and that's when I woke up from my coma it was right at that moment. But I became rather resentful. I healed. I had a tube in the eye of me and I healed physically pretty well. Oh, the doctors didn't want me to play football and that kind of stuff as a kid. I still healed pretty well physically. Emotionally, I was a wreck. My self-esteem was affected. I was a kid. I didn't think the girls were going to like me. I had this huge scar, a couple scars on my chest. Instead of being the captain of the sport teams, I was the last one picked. So there was a lot of emotional turmoil going on. And I really became quite angry at God and rebelled a lot. And I started hanging out with the wrong kids. And I felt when I had some beer or smoking some pot or something, I felt better. That self-esteem stuff wasn't so bad. And I felt bigger than I was. So I really dived into that for a number of years and hit the bottom a few more times, sometimes going through the bottom, so to speak, before I came back out. But then something happened in 86. My dad had died in 85. In actually, on Mother's Day, May 12, 1985, my dad passed away. And about a year later, I started getting tingling, feeling sensations in my legs. And I was thinking it was something going on with my spine or I had a pinched nerve or something for a while, but it possibly got worse. And in October of that year, I ended up at OHSU, Oregon Health Sciences University, in the department. And as the nurse started doing the examination, they heard that my right leg was 100% blocked, my artery, and my left leg was 65% blocked. And she immediately called in one of the doctors and he came and looked at me and he essentially said, we might have to amputate your legs. And I told him in no uncertain terms that was not going to happen. Ended up having what's called a FEMPOP bypass surgery on both my legs and it restored the blood flow for a period of time. About a month after the you know, surgeries, I went back in with blood clots. But then the following year, I went back, and it was just for a regular exam, but they put me back in the hospital, wanted to do additional surgery. And they said that my legs had re-blocked. 
effect that my arteries had. And I told him again in no uncertain terms that I wasn't going to have any more surgeries. I was really stubborn. It's probably one of the things that saved me at time was that stubbornness that I had. Even though the surgeons, they were surrounding my bed there at OHSU, in my bed trying to get me otherwise, trying to convince me that I needed this surgery. And that if I did it, it was likely I was going to lose my legs and lose my life within a few months, maybe six months at the most. Mm-hmm. And I ended up leaving against medical advice walking out of the hospital, not knowing what I was going to do. And I'll get back to that in in a moment, but one of my big goals this year is climb a butte every week. I live in the mountains in central Oregon, and there's lots of little smaller buttes around five, 6,000 feet, something like that. And most of them are remote. Most of them have no trails. But today, I'm going up and down those buttes as much as I want. Wow. I'm able to do anything I want. I know that when I was walking out of the hospital that I was going to be climbing buttes in central Oregon on a regular basis. But I'm extremely grateful today that I can get to the top of it, right? I can hike anywhere. I can do anything that I want today, even though, again, that was 86, 1987, 35 years ago. Again, I'm still alive. So it must mean I'm not through yet. That's remarkable. That's absolutely remarkable. You talked about your social ecosystem as a young person. You felt like it went down and you imitated to another group. Was that because they accepted you more so than the other social group that you might have been a part of prior to the accident? That you gravitated toward that group of the, the bad kids? They accepted me more and I accepted me more. Falsely, but I did. And the reason I say falsely is because, you know, for me, I felt in hindsight, starting to drink and smoke pot as a kid, that I could then accept myself who I was. I wasn't able to accept myself without it. I didn't think I could at the time. Yeah, I heard from you both a couple of things relative to your parents. Your father passed on Mother's Day and your mother passed on your father's birthday. Yeah. Yeah, that's so significant. Yeah. She passed in 94 of ovarian cancer. My dad passed of a heart attack. He had several already. And his dad died when he was 52. So I had not met my grandfather on my dad's side because he died young. I'm 63 and I'm still alive. And I maybe we'll get into a little bit of yoga, but I have on my calendar, my iPhone calendar, I put it in there that on my birthday every year until I'm 110, then I'm going to practice yoga. I know that's right. Incredible. In your book, you talk about the different forms of yoga and then going to Bikram. Yeah, I've already done some yoga. My first yoga class was in 1987 and really jumped in. I really liked it. I wasn't, I hate to say not very good at it because I don't think people are good or bad at yoga. It just, it is what it is. But I have a different perspective today. But so I started in 87 and then in 93, I did my first Bikram class. There was a new studio in Portland, hot studio, and I walked in and I thought it was hot and sweaty and stupid. I couldn't believe people would do yoga like that. This is, you got to be kidding me. So I was doing my other yoga, but I would go to the Bikram studio from time to time and there was a girl there that I liked. So I wanted to go out with her. I would keep going to that studio and I kept feeling better. And by 97, 1997, I'd had a shoulder injury actually from doing a lot of Ashtanga yoga. And Ashtanga yoga is a deeper form of, so I'll call it for people that aren't aware of what it is. It's a stronger version. And you're 
in downward dog and you're jumping through your legs and doing all these different things. And my shoulder started hurting. I went to some sports medicine docs in Portland and they wanted to do surgery. And that's when I went back to Beekman again. And I started doing more Beekman. Within 30 days, my shoulder injury went away. Heat opened it up and all this. And I really liked it. I had started making a lot of money. I had some option trading and was doing really well. And I decided I was going to take a couple of years off and just really focus on my yoga, right? So I still had some pain in my body from my legs and stuff, and I thought I was going to have to cope with it the rest of my life. But I decided I was going to go do some intense yoga, and I didn't know where I was going to go at first, but I ended up at Bikram at his teacher training. It was 11-week teacher training in Los Angeles. And I went down there, and within the first couple of weeks, the pain that I'd been carrying for years was gone. So I no longer had to cope with lifelong pain that I thought I was going to have to cope with. I actually learned how to release it. And it wasn't very easy. Bikram wasn't giving me any slack right? And I hated him within about a week. I wanted my money back. And he said, no, you don't get your money back. And I said, well, how do I modify the posture? Because my legs hurt. And he says, no modification. And I said, well, what do I do? He says, don't worry about it. Forget about it. Just do the yoga. That idea still to this day is still the biggest lesson I've ever had. In- wow. Don't worry about it. Forget about it. Just do the yoga. The reason I say that is because for so long in my life, I was holding on to things. I was worrying about things. I was concerned about things. And I wanted to do something different, a little bit different than what I was being told because I thought I was special, so to speak. Don't worry about it. Forget it. How can I modify? How can I do this? I'm special. I've had this thing happen. And Beekman would have none of it. He'd say, you're not special. You're just another person who has two legs and two arms and a head. He says, so stop worrying about it. And again, letting that go changed everything. Wow. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Can you help us to better understand Bikram yoga and the different forms of yoga into what you do? Many are not familiar with or maybe interested in moving in that direction, but don't know how to go about doing it. Yeah. I think anybody that's interested in yoga, whether they've done it or not, they tend to gravitate towards something that they like. Oftentimes it's that first or second class they go to because there's a huge shift in something that's happened as a result of practice. It almost doesn't matter what type of yoga. I expect Bikram yoga my whole life. Each form is a little bit different from is they're fairly static postures you do one posture at a time the longest posture is a minute other than savasana which is two minutes and the savasana posture in the last part of class you're doing it for about eight to 16 minutes total so even though it's hot and sweaty in the room you're continuing to integrate the savasana and what savasana is for those that don't know essentially you're laying on your back doing nothing so you get to this opportunity to go to this hot room and lay on your back and do nothing more than anything else sounds like my kind of yoga just briefly when Beacon came in the early 70s to this country and he went to Honolulu he went to Hawaii first in Japan and he had to walk into a yoga studio walking down the street there was a yoga studio and he walked in and he couldn't figure out why it was air conditioned and why is this room air conditioned why are you doing yoga air conditioned open up the door turn up the heat more benefit and he grew up in Kolkata so there was a lot of warmth there's a lot of humidity and they heard in, in India that when people practiced in the heat something different happened than when it was in the cold 
So what America considers to be regular cold yoga, what Bikram considers to be regular yoga is hot yoga, warm yoga. And that when we practice in that warm environment, we touched on this a little bit earlier, you take a piece of metal and you try to bend it. If I were to bend this piece of metal right here, it would break. But if I heated it up first, I could start to reshape it and remold it. So that's part of the idea. There's a lot of reasons for the heat, which... We could talk about all day, just that. But then there's other forms of yoga, whether it's masa, which is a pretty popular form. It's more of a flowing, where you're flowing through postures a little bit more. It's not quite as static as, say, Kram. And then there's Iyengar yoga, which is also static, a little bit more static. And there's something called Ashtanga yoga, which is a fairly vigorous form. And then there's stuff which is called restorative yoga, which I don't like the terminology of restorative yoga, because all yoga is restorative. It doesn't matter what type of yoga you're doing. It's all restorative. There was a teacher in India, his name was Char. And there was a form of yoga that he was leading called yoga. He says, I'm going to stop calling this yoga. I'm just going to call it yoga. And it was a big deal in the Vinny yoga community because it had grown to be a pretty big community of people. And some people rebelled and said, I'm going to keep calling it yoga. And he says, you can do that. I'm going to call it yoga. Forget about all these names. Exactly. I didn't realize that Bikram was the name of the person who actually brought that form of yoga with the heat. Yeah. I didn't realize that until I read your book, actually. Yeah. Bikram Chaudhary. That's quite amazing. So when a person is looking for a way to get started, and you mentioned that they will gravitate to something that's comfortable for them. Now, most people come to yoga to release stress which is really what it's more about. It's not about getting flexible. He says, I can't go to yoga because I'm not flexible. Is a little bit like saying I can't take a shower because I'm dirty, right? (laughs) Oh, I can't go to yoga. I'm not flexible enough. There are some people that come with injuries. Bikram is actually really good for injuries because of the heat. There are some people that want to build strength, which like an Ashtanga or Vinyasa is going to build more upper body strength. So it depends on what you want. Some people are coming to help relieve mental health stress and conditions. And there's a lot of anxiety in the world right now. And so yoga is especially helpful for that, is to help relieve some of that anxiety that we might have. Some people want to have more a gentler form of yoga. There's something called yin yoga, which tends to be fairly gentle. You'll hold a fairly gentle posture for 10 or 15 minutes even sometimes. So it just depends on your energy. If you're a higher energy person, Vipassa or a Bikram, if you're a lower energy person and okay with that, then something softer, more gentle. That's good. That's good information. You progress through your evolution, if you will, as it relates to yoga, and you are where you are right now. You mentioned that the hot yoga is good for injuries or releasing stress or things of that nature. I know a lot of folks could use that about now, so yeah. needs more of those studios around. Yeah. Where you are now, you are a yoga instructor. I am teaching. I teach about six to ten times a month right now. It's not my my full-time gig right now, so to speak, but it's still the foundation of what I do. So I teach that and then I practice at the studio three to five times a week and I'll do some of my own as well. Any more books on the horizon for you? Oh, yeah. But today, if I can mention this, is I'm really active with podcasting. I help people with podcasting. I help people with stage. And the reason I do that today, and for those that are listening, I think this is really important, is, and through my book and everything, is I've really discovered that 
telling our stories and sharing our stories that's really important. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now. And even just having this conversation, and like some of the guests that you've had on, we're all sharing our story and somebody's going to connect with my story and she's not, and she's going to connect with Jeannie Lee's story or some of your other guests. But I think that there's an opportunity here to create more human connection, more connection with the heart. And again, with all the energy going on in the world right now, the more that we can do that, the better. Starting in grade school, we started learning how to tell stories and show and tell. We already know how to tell stories. And by telling our story, we realize, too, what's real for us and what's false. It can help somebody else. Somebody else can feel inspired or motivated. You might listen to this and go, oh, I want to go practice yoga now because of what I heard on that podcast. And somebody might go, I don't want to do yoga now because of what I heard on the podcast. It could go either way. But it's like there's places in the world today where people aren't allowed to speak very much. They're not allowed to tell their story. They're not allowed to use the word war or they'll go to jail for 15 years. I think by sharing our stories, talking more about connection is really important. So the business that I'm focused on today, so to speak, is helping people speak, helping people get their stories out, helping people realize that they are a value. And coming from a place where I didn't think I was valued very much, I didn't value myself very much, my self-esteem sucked. But today, my greatest asset is my past. But to be able to come from where I came from and to be able to say, this is where I am today, and maybe it can help you too. Maybe. So I think it's important to share our stories. I'm really focused on that to today, primarily. Getting to work with the publisher, which is one of my clients. They have 26 number one best-selling books that are small publisher. I'm helping them get more stories out. I'm talking on podcasts more and more. I'll probably start a podcast again next year. I've had one in the past. But underneath all of that, by getting our voices out to the world, we're sharing more. And in a way, COVID, this disaster, created this desire for Zoom and everything else for connecting more on that level. And then we may not have done that if it wasn't for COVID. I 100% agree with you on that. And though many people have misgivings about being on Zoom calls and uh, in Zoom meetings, and there's a lot of trepidation around that. And I understand why, because it can be misused, especially when you're in corporate America. Every two seconds, there's a meeting about the meeting that we're going to have about the meeting. (laughs) Been there and done that for many years. However, the thought that we miss the human connection is its thing, the face-to-face, in-the-flesh connection. However, the reality is that we still have an opportunity. So I beg to differ. Yes, it's important that we shake hands or hug each other and things of that nature. But when you look at the reality of what we have at this platform that we're connecting on right now, I think it's a perfect way to connect with people and make that connection through conversation. The point I'm making is that sometimes you're in an environment where others make you feel like you have no voice. Okay, so what you're sharing about helping people tell their story and share their story with the world is very heartfelt. Yeah. In your book, Blissful Leadership, and what I hear your backstory here is that some of that came from your corporate experience and what worked and what didn't work, and you wanted to make your own voice heard. So your past was your greatest asset. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I have no misgivings. I had a fabulous career. Yeah. Traveled the world, earned a fantastic living, have a wonderful lifestyle. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I enjoyed it to the last day. 
But I just knew that it was time for a new chapter. Yeah, and that's wonderful. Because sometimes when we're ready for a new chapter, we don't always go with it. It takes us a while to learn it. You're so right about that. Yeah, it took me a while to learn it. And finally, one day it was like, okay, you've hit me enough with this two by four and this Mack truck. Okay, I'll finally listen and I'll do this. I'll make the change. And everything changed. Absolutely right. Sometimes I have to be very transparent here. I wondered what I was doing. As I was writing the book, it didn't come easily for me. I don't consider myself a prolific writer or what have you, but I accomplished it. And that was what it, what it was and what it is. In the podcasting space, I'm getting more and more clear on a daily basis as to value of what I do and how I can serve others. And I'm excited about it. And I yeah. like it. I like it a lot. And you have a great show and you're attracting some really great guests. I tell you what, I'm having the time of my life. So today, as I was preparing for our conversation after reading your book, a couple of days ago. And I said, I have an opportunity to talk to Michael Harris. And then of course, there was something that drew me to you. And I thought, there's a reason why I'm talking to Michael Harris today. Yeah. In every conversation, there's always something significant about that guest. I learned something every single time. It's just amazing to me. So as you work with your clients or as you consult with individuals about getting their stories out into the world, what does that look like? Most of my clients today are one-on-one. I've done some group and I've done some one-on-one. Like, for instance, the one that I mentioned a little while ago, they've done 45 books, 26 bestsellers, a couple hundred bestselling authors, and they're kind of feeling stuck with their stories, even though they're an expert in stories, right? But they were feeling stuck on what they were doing. So they brought me in and I've been helping them get unstuck and get clear on the story that they want to tell what type of books they want to focus on, how they want to tell their message, how to even get on podcasts, how to share what they are doing on podcasts. So even though it's a highly experienced author and publisher, they still didn't feel like their story was getting out in the way that they wanted, so that they needed in perspective. So I meet with them once a week and we go through what we're working on and what the focus is and how to get their message out. Again, whether you tell your message on a podcast, on a business presentation, on stage, the storytelling process is similar. Platform may be different, but how to tell the stories, where to get stories from, what stories to tell at what point. And you can take a story and you could tell a story in one sentence. The same story, you could tell it in 20 minutes or you could use it as a keynote speech that's an hour long. But it's understanding that process and how that works. Understood. Have you ever thought about doing a TED Talk? Yes, I have. It's on my list of things for next year to do that. And I've actually asked before, but I didn't do it. This was, I don't know, six or seven, eight years ago, something like that. I didn't do it. I can see it. Thank you. <laughs> because that's why I asked you. Like, yeah, I can see this happening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I can see you walking on the stage with your little mic. Well, now that I can do. I just <laughs> haven't done it with TEDx. Yeah. yeah. 
No doubt, no doubt. It's amazing. I don't know why, but I'm talking to more and more people who are in other realms that have more to do with more of the spiritual internal world. I think more of that is happening right now, too. I know it with my friends and the people that I know. Virtually everybody that I know is experiencing something they've never had to experience before in their life. And I think it's pushing on that spiritual. And I think it's helping to open us up to new insights that we might not otherwise have had. doesn't matter whether it's the guy at the gas station or the corporate leader. So many people are experiencing this shift that's going on. So it doesn't surprise me in the least that you may be attracting more of that. I think there is more of it. Yeah. I find it very, well, it's not a question of fascinating. I think it's timely. Yeah, yeah. The things that we have become familiar with in terms of what we can control, I think there's more of what we cannot control that goes unseen. Like the serenity prayer. It's yeah. more power in that than there is anything else. Yeah, yeah. That's a wonderful insight. Yeah. It gives me a sense of freedom, actually. <laughs> freedom and joy. Someone asked me, what do you want most? And I said, peace. Yeah. Joy and freedom. Yeah. Talk about that in your book, if I remember. Inner peace, joy, and freedom. Is it a subtitle on your book? Yeah. Yeah. It's a subtitle. Because at the end of the day, as you may have experienced in your professional life, in the corporate world, it's productive. Yeah. Very productive. It's goal-oriented, and I think that's the way it should be. However, there are opportunities to meet people where they are if they're willing to do that. More and more leaders who are better at doing that than the leaders of yesteryear who were more concerned with their title and their rank rather than their people. I think those kind of leaders are going by the wayside in time for a renaissance as it relates to leadership. I was really excited to have this conversation with you because of all of what you went through to get to where you are. And then to go down the path that you went down and then get into this yoga space, I thought it was phenomenal, actually. Yeah, thank you. It never occurred to me growing up that I would get into the yoga space. My mom did it sometimes with some crazy yoga teacher. I for that when I was younger. Oh, she's going to that crazy yoga class, that crazy teacher. Why would she want to do that? And it's been a huge part of my life on many different levels. And it's really the foundation of much of what I do. And I don't mean the postures, the shift that it's helped create emotionally, the self-esteem it's built, the not being afraid of what other people think of me, but looking at more, what do I think of myself? Because what somebody else thinks is none of my business. They're going to think what they think. Comes back to serenity prayer again. Do it. I'm not going to try to convince anybody of it. I'm going to say what it is I'm going to say and be me as much of the time as I possibly can. As possible. I understand that. I understand that. There's a certain conscious level of intentionality, especially in social situations where there are expectations of certain things. Say certain things, you wear certain clothes, you know, all this kind of stuff. And that's what my mother would say, rigmarole. Yeah, we get caught up in those kind of things. But in actuality, just to be authentic and yourself and let it land the way it lands. And some people will be attracted to it, others not so much, and that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I don't know if it's that you get to a point in life where you realize the things that matter most and the other things you just let go. Yeah. And I don't know if that's experience, if that's wisdom, but I know it exists. 
I think it's all of the above. It's experience, it's wisdom, it's we face challenges, relationships, and sometimes I will apply the so what to something. If there's something that's happened, and I think, what if I say so what that happened? Or so what, that's what that person said. It's like, so what? Yeah, but so what does it have to do with me? Oh my God, this is so on time. You mentioned that there's so much going on in the world and you have to ask yourself, okay, it happened. Like you said, yeah. And there are some things that do impact us, absolutely, from a societal perspective. And those things you just have to know how to discern what is for you and what's not for you. In my experience, one thing that they've come back to, and certainly I've been challenged with all this throughout my life, with the spiritual connection that I believe that I have, everything's going to be okay, no matter what. And no matter what happens in the world, somebody may take my body or whatever. But I'm going to be okay. It's like when I pass, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be in the realm of spirits. And nobody can take that. So I feel comforted by that. I understand what you're saying about that. I had a conversation with a young person and he said, not that he was contemplating death, but he couldn't believe that when his time came, that it would be the end. Yeah. He said, I don't accept that. Yeah. I just don't. I know in the physical realm that we're in right now, this is what it is. But I cannot accept the fact that I will not exist anymore yeah. when my time comes. I believe yeah. that there is a spirit of me that will reincarnate in some other way, fashion, or some realm. Yeah. And what do you say to that? That was a conversation I had just this morning. Wow. Yeah. I was looking forward to this conversation after reading the book and, and then reading about yoga and yoga instructing. And now you're consulting with others to help them to get their stories out into the world. That whole evolution of Michael Harris is quite, quite phenomenal, actually. It's mind-blowing to me as well, because I did not lay this path out. I did not think this was going to be my path growing up. I thought I was going to work for the family business and all of that type of stuff, which is totally different than all of this. Okay. But this really where I belong. And you know that for sure. Now, you have three brothers, is it? I have three older brothers. Older brothers. Yeah. Okay. My oldest brother, Bill, has passed. He started something called Centerpoint Research Institute. Some of the listeners out there may know him. Centerpoint is meditation, and he was instrumental in bringing meditation with binaural beats to the world, which is... Yes. Yeah. So my brother was instrumental with that. He was also one of the authors of The Secret and help Rhonda Byrne put the book The Secret together. I have another brother. He stayed more with the family and ended up really exploding the business and doing, let's see, seven, eight, nine, ten figure sales and is retired and plays golf as he can. And then I have another brother which helps run treatment centers and his wife does too. His wife has been head of the Women and Alcoholism Program for Hazelton Betty Ford Institute. Well, it appears that everyone landed where they were supposed to land. And as you mentioned before, everything worked out just fine. And I am looking forward to hearing more and seeing more of you. In fact, how would you like our listeners to contact you? What's the best way to contact you, Michael? The best place is just to go to my website, which is Michael, B as in book, michaelbharris.com. And I also want to give another link, and this is a hidden link. It's michaelbharris.com. 
So anybody can go there and download a free copy of the book. It can also be bought anywhere, any bookseller. But if someone wants to download a copy, they can do that too for free. But you can't find the link on the website. It's a hidden link. So Michael B. Harris slash book. Got it. Got it. I will make sure that information is in the show notes. Michael, thank you so much for giving us a bit of your time today. And for our listeners, you can contact Michael by going to his website. His web address is Michael B as in boy, Harris.com. And for a complimentary copy of his book, it's michaelbharris.com forward slash book. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Next Chapter Experience. If you have already subscribed, rated, and left a review, or shared this podcast with a friend, many, many thanks. For questions, comments, or feedback, reach out to me at Jeanette Lissette at nextchapterexperience.com. We'll be back with more conversations, so until then, keep that fire burning.